0: Welcome to episode 96 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between if we are playing it. We will be talking about it today. We are recording on September 7th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway, and I am the editor of GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this year's show. With
1: me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? Brad, I'm doing well, and I have to admit that for the first time in a long while, um, because we haven't—we actually haven't recorded in about two weeks, although we're about to pump two shows out in about a span of two or three days. So, as soon as I pressed record on Audacity, I had like a heart flutter, like moment of butterflies. Of do I know what I'm doing? What's going on? And then, as you were reading the intro just then, I did a few like fist pumps and jazz hands on my end over here to like psych (laughs) myself up for recording. So (laughs) I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good now.
0: I like the idea of pre-show jazz hands. I'm into that. That's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my friend. Well, uh, buckle in. Um, Today is going to be a special episode, Uh, as you kind of alluded to by the two week discrepancy in our recording schedule. uh, We were kind of thrown off by PAX West which is the largest game convention on the West Coast that was happening here in my hometown of Seattle over four days uh, near uh, Labor Day weekend. So apologies to all of you regular listeners who wondered what happened. Um, We try to be very good about doing weekly and we did not publish weekly, so I'm sure there were some question marks about that. Uh, But we hope to make it up to you uh, for that delay first with this right now here as you're listening all packs episode which will chronicle my time on the floor. Uh, But also, we are going to have a normal Back to Basics episode. Uh, We're going to record that the day after tomorrow. So um, I know that we were like basically so delayed with this episode that it was almost like we went a week without having an episode. But next week, you will have two episodes. So hopefully, that will balance things out. And then we will be back to our regular weekly schedule after that. Uh, Also, uh, before we get into the actual show here, a special thanks to... uh, Uh, my half of the podcast, Corey Motley, for all the editing he's about to do with two shows this weekend. So thank you very much, sir. Apologies for uh, the carpal tunnel
1: and the headaches. Uh, No problem. Also, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but did you happen to listen back to the last episode we did? Because I thought that some of the audio stuff in it was going to be a disaster. And I even like made an apology statement before the episode aired about like, sorry if stuff sounds weird. And like, I don't want to like, pat myself on the back too much, but most of the episodes sounded pretty flawless to me whenever I finished it.
0: Yeah, I did listen back and I, I remembered that we had problems when we were recording. I, I did not detect anything. I mean, there was like maybe like one micro hiccup and it was like if you if I had known about the difficulties, I would have thought nothing of it. I would have thought, oh, whatever. <laughs> somebody bumped their mic or something. You did a, a great job. So definitely a pat on the back from me for that. Thank you very much. You did superb. Uh, and, uh, you got more editing ahead of you, so hopefully you can keep up, uh, with that trend. Um, also, before we get into the actual games and packs talk, I want to give a hearty welcome to any and all new listeners. Um, thanks for coming aboard, and the reason I say that is because I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, um... Not this I mean, I do listen to this one, but like you know, I listen to other podcasts. It's like (laughs) I'm
1: not like I'm a total narcissist. You 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 only record uh, this show and you only listen to the show and that's it. Fuck everybody else.
0: (laughs) Well, I was I started so what happened was I I ran out of podcasts to listen to, and so I asked Twitter, Hey, what are some podcasts you guys like? What can you recommend? And I do this like once every six months or so because I like to add more regular shows to my roster. Because I do a lot of driving and so I need a lot of podcasts to keep me busy when I'm driving. Um and so I started listening to a couple new shows. None of them have been winners so far. I'm not going to name names or anything. But one thing <laughs> that was really consistent was that most of the shows I listened to took absolutely no time to explain themselves to welcome new listeners or to kind of give any context for anybody who was just jumping aboard. So like for someone like me who was kind of, you know, starting in on episode 42 or starting in on episode 75 or whatever, I felt like really lost and like really like not welcomed and you know, I was not going to go back to like episode one, just to get caught up on what these guys were talking about. Like it was really like two people talking to themselves. And if you were listening, that was fine, but that's not really the kind of show that uh, we want to do. And so that was a good reminder to me, um, to take just a moment and say, thank you to all of our new listeners. If you're just joining us for the first time, thank you very much. We do our best to keep things open and accessible. Um, and not to be too much inside baseball. So if you have any feedback or any thoughts, ideas, please get in touch with us. And hopefully we will be putting out a show that is a good time for uh, newcomers
1: and longtime listeners as well. You know, I do have thoughts. you know what else? I don't listen to a ton of podcasts either, and we've probably talked about this on the show like several times, but one thing that I find consistently whenever you get into, especially in like video gaming podcasts, because I know um, like you seem to be on the prowl for those often, um, obviously, because we're both gamers, and sometimes I am, but most times I find video game podcasts out there in the wild. Um, most of them are hosted by probably like three to four, maybe more people, and... Oh most of the time they're hosted by almost all men. And anytime I get, I try to get into a new podcast that has more than like two or three hosts, and usually they're all men. If I stick around for the podcast long enough, it probably takes me about five episodes before I understand which voices belong to which people. Because when you get like four dudes in a room all talking over each other about video games it's just it's very difficult for me to understand who's whom and that's another reason why i'm kind of thankful for our show because it's just you and i I strongly believe that you and I have voices that are distinct enough to, to where people can tell <laughs> us apart. <laughs> I would hope so, because I
0: don't think you sound like me, and I don't think I sound like you. So. I don't
1: think so either. But do you ever have that problem when you're getting into shows and you just cannot figure out who's talking and, like, figure out whose personality belongs to who and whatnot?
0: Yeah, and honestly, I, I tend not to listen to the shows too much because I don't really want to just like eavesdrop on four dude bros having like banter chat or whatever. <laughs> I mean, if they're if they're if they're talking about something, that's great. I mean, I think probably one really good example um, is the Gamers with Jobs podcast. Have you ever listened to those guys? I have not. Um, I don't always like their show because sometimes they talk about topics that I just don't like, or there's a couple things that happen on that show, they're not great for me, but I do think they have a very good podcast. It's been running for, like, several years. They're up to, like, episode, I don't know, like, 749 oh or something like that, and they've actually never missed a week either, so we, we got competition on that, but <laughs> they, they usually have four people, but they're very good about turn-taking. They're very good about, like, saying names. They're very good about saying the name of the game that they're talking about, kind of reintroducing those things, so even though, you know, I jumped in at, like, episode... 552. (laughs) It was very easy to figure out this is the structure. This is who's talking. This is what they're talking about. And there was a little banter, of course, because they're human beings, but like it was very open and accessible. So I really want to have that same level. I think they set a very good example. And I think that we do pretty good. I mean, I assume we do pretty good. Um, I don't want to just assume, I guess. So people, (laughs) if you have feedback, let us know. Um, But that's kind of the ideal I shoot for is that it's that anybody can listen to any episode of our show and get what's going on and feel like it's like they can follow along. That's kind of my goal.
1: I feel like we provide that pretty well, especially because we do the hard like intro and outro where anytime somebody comes to the show, you know, we say, hey, this is our show. This is what it's about. This is Brad. This is Corey. Hello. We do about 30 seconds of intro and then we just jump right into the games talk. If we started, I mean, when we used to do this, if we started with, you know, 45 minutes of banter and then jumped to games talk, people might not because that's the kind of stuff where people you know newcomers might not be as looped into our lives or what's going on or whatnot so i think it was a good call a while back for us to put banter at the end um so that way new people can just come in and get the games chat they want and then decide if they like us or not and get out agreed 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 all right so i think
0: we're on the same page about that Uh, So once again, welcome new listeners, and if uh, anybody has any feedback about our show, if we can make this more open and accessible to you, please let us know. And now we will get right down to it. Um, Today we are talking about PAX West 2018, four days of games, 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 and more games. I was on the floor all four days. Um, but before we get to my experience, I feel like I'm going to be doing most of the talking today since I was there. Uh, but Corey, I want to get your thoughts. Have you ever been to any of the other PAXs? There are several around the country and I guess around the world, or have you gone to any game conventions yourself?
1: I haven't. And this was going to be something I wanted to ask you about, because I know we've talked about packs before. We've talked about E3 before, but I think it's always interesting to revisit sort of um the environment of the show as a whole because i i grew up um outside of Kansas City, Missouri and whenever you're right like dead center in the middle of the country there is fuck all happening around you as far as game conventions and stuff because like the PAXes are in like Boston, which is way east. Um Seattle, which is way northwest. Isn't there's like stuff going on in Texas, that's really far south, Comic-Cons or you know in California and New York. So there's not really anything happening like remotely close to the Midwest that I know of, or at least the central part of the United States. So I've been to, like, anime cons and stuff, which we've talked about on the show before, um, and stuff like that, but not, like, a proper video game convention. And growing up, you know, I always read in game magazines, like, an EGM and um, a Game Informer and stuff like that. Like, all you really see is... The coverage of the game. So it looks like that a bunch of people just go there, they play the games, they provide the coverage, they talk about what they liked, what they didn't like, and they get out. But they're, I mean, I know just from being on Twitter, from seeing so many people talk about it over the years, that there's so much more going on at every conference than just the games and that's it. And I feel like a lot of early games reporting in magazines was sort of leaving out like just the idea of reporting on sort of like the overall atmosphere of the show and how like you know, I grew up glamorizing these events and thinking that they were these cool, like things you got to go to and play all these cool games and be like privy to all this info. But really, I mean, I know it is all of that, but I also, you know, from being on Twitter, have begun to understand that. You know, the shows are not really as glamorous as they might seem because it's like eight million sweaty people packed into rooms trying to squeeze past each other, waiting in long lines to play the games. And I'm sort of like, um, you know, inferring some of this information from stuff I've read. But I would just like to get sort of like before we jump into the games talk, just a little bit of like your spiel about the overall environment of the show and what it's like that's not necessarily games centered.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean... So back in the day was a little bit different than it is today. So like I my first game conference ever was E3. And that was like after being a kid reading like EGM or, you know, Game Pro or whatever, and seeing, you know, those like full page magazine spreads and thinking, oh, my God, like E3 looks amazing. Like it's just wall to wall games and holy shit. And it was like one of the first time I went to an E3 that was great. But when I first went, it was basically press only. Um, so most of the people were like writers or, you know, journalists of some sort. Of course, there were other people that were not, but like, there weren't that many, like you had to like go through a couple hoops, like you had to fabricate a business card and, you know, (laughs) set up some kind of dinky website before they let you in. So it was easy to get in, but like, even just those little, little hoops, um, really kept a lot of people out. So when I started going, it wasn't really as crowded as it's become. And it was much more about like, Hey, we want to show you this game. Uh, so we have things set up. We're going to walk you through this. I mean, it was about like pitching and selling and more about, you know, making sure that the coverage was happening. Uh, but that's kind of changed over the years. I think now, and I think PAX is probably the best example of this. It's become much more focused on just the people who are going, which is totally fine. Um, so PAX itself is more about just being a gamer, showing up, being a part of the culture or being interested in those things, but not necessarily being part of the industry, so I think that's I think that's definitely a good thing. I mean, for me who wants to just cover the games, it's a little bit tougher because it's a lot more crowded. But you can still have meetings with people. You can still see games. I mean, it's totally fine. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff too, and I really appreciate that. There's um, you know more people of color showing up. There's more queer people. There's more families, and so like it kind of just feels more inclusive, and we can still get the reporting done. So I, I do like this kind of new trend. Um, at PAX specifically it's really big. It's huge. I mean, it's not as big as like San Diego Comic-Con or it's not as big as, you know, other, it's not as big as E3, but it is still quite large. They take up the largest convention space in Washington state and it's not even big enough. Like we could use more space for sure. Um, so it's like wall to wall people, but there's an expo floor where there are tons of booths and every booth has a game set up and multiple games. And there's little meeting rooms on the floor where you can go behind the scenes and see stuff privately. Um, And that's where like most of the game stuff are. And that's where most people are. Like there's tons of lines to to play games, people giving away free swag, people shooting t-shirt cannons over the crowd and stuff. (laughs) So it's kind of a, it's kind of a zoo in there. Uh, But also there is, there's other stuff too. Like, I mean, I usually go by myself. I wish I had a staff of three people. Ideally, I would love three people to cover packs. I would want to do the games I would want one person to go to all the panels because there are tons and tons and tons of panels and I never have time to go to any of the panels because I'm so busy looking at the games. Um, And there are so many games that it usually takes me like at least two or three solid days to go and see them all, which is like, I mean, if you can imagine going into a floor and you're like, okay, I'm going to start on the east side of this hall and I'm going to work my way to the west side. And that takes you like literally all day because there are so many games to look at and so many games to play and so many games to ask questions about. Like it just takes you all day. And then the next day you go to the next hall and the next day you go to the third hall. And it's just like, it's, it's a ton, right? It's like, it's enormous. So uh, I would like one person to go to the panels. There's tons of speakers, tons of topics. There's like, you know, raising kids with games or inclusion in games or, you know, diversity or women creators, or this is my story of making XYZ game, or this is like, you know, fan feedback about this game. Or I mean, there, there's like panels for everything. And I really would like to check those out, but I never have time. But a lot of good speakers, a lot of good information, people that go to them and tell me about them, they sound amazing. And I, I read the descriptions before the show and I'm like, oh my God, I would love to see like half of these, but it just never works out. So I would love to have a person to go to panels, just just panels all the time for me. Uh, and if you're thinking of going to PAX and you want to cover panels, uh, hit me up and I will, I will employ you to do this. Uh, the other, I would like to have a third person to just do like the culture, to kind of take in the scene, to take pictures of all the cosplay, to kind of just like take pictures of the crowd, to kind of like do interviews with people and stuff. I think, I think that would be optimal. So I would love to have a team of three. I usually have a team of one and I feel like even though I'm there for like four days, I still can't really do justice to the event, but it's huge. It's crowded. It's sweaty. Um, just more stuff that you could see it's really loud and it's just, it's crazy. So there are definitely non-glamorous p- aspects to it. I don't like paying like, you know, $12 for a turkey sandwich and like, you know, <laughs> I don't like having to push through a thousand people to get to a bathroom, but overall it's a really good time and I love just meeting people and stuff. So I think I really, I do, I do enjoy it. I'm exhausted afterwards, but I do enjoy it.
1: Is the PAX flu, is that a thing?
0: Mm-hmm. PAX pox is a thing <laughs> for sure. For sure. But, you know, if you wash your hands thoroughly and often, which you should do, uh, most of the booths also have Purell, like right on the counter, like when oh, you go up to talk nice. to the reps or something. Yeah, everybody's got Purell. One of the best things that people can give away at the show is they usually have like a little teeny bottle of Purell with a lanyard and then they put like a game logo or a game character on it. So those are always really appreciated. Uh, but you got to wash your hands a lot and don't touch Things. I mean, I know it's impossible because <laughs> it's like a video game convention, and that's kind of what you got to do. But like straight up, dude. Like honestly, I'll tell you. Like for a lot of games, unless I'm dying to play, uh, what I usually like to do is I just I go to a booth and I talk to a PR rep, and I'm like, hey, um, instead of me playing this game, like you play this game. So number one, I don't have to touch the controller. Number two, I don't waste my time like learning the controls, right? Because here's a PR rep who has played this game a thousand times. They know all the ins and outs. They know all the details. And they're going to want to sell me on this game. So it's like, you play the game, I'll watch you. And if I have questions, I will ask you. And if I feel motivated, I'll jump in. But otherwise, you know, show me the game in the best light. Because if I'm sitting here for 20 minutes trying to figure out how to do the double jump or whatever, that's like not really effective coverage and it's a waste of everybody's time. So I think that by doing that, I can avoid touching a lot of things. And by avoiding touching a lot of things, I tend to avoid the PAX pox. I don't think I've ever gotten really sick from going to PAX. And I think I've gone for like at least 10 years in a row. So um just good hygiene good you know good safety precautions you'll be okay it's fine it's fine
1: uh whenever you go there for because obviously you're there for like press reasons for game critics do you have to stand in line for like an hour like like what's like the longest you stood in line to play a game or to consult about a game and the shortest
0: uh i do not stand in line for anything (laughs) when i go um That is the one. So, that is the one downside of PAX. Like, when you go to E3 or you go to other press events like that, if there are people in line, people will usually let you jump to the front of the line or just skip the line altogether because you're press. I mean, you're there to cover the game. They know that you're there to, like, you know, write an article or take some video or to tweet about it. And so they let you jump ahead. Uh, But PAX is more, you know, like I said, more kind of just gamer oriented. And so they'll have like one hour which is totally insufficient of where they let just reporters in and press people to like see what they need to see, which is balls. I mean, an hour is totally not enough. It should be like at minimum like an hour a day. But um, I will make appointments before the show. Like people will email you like you'll get like a thousand emails before PAX, like three weeks before PAX, your email will flood. Hey, we're showing XYZ the game. We want to make an appointment for you to come see it. Hey, come see our game. Hey, come see our game. And you will get more more emails than you will be able to see. So I have to say no to like 90% of them. But if it's something that I really want to see, I will make an appointment with these people and then I will show up at their booth and I'll be like, hey, it's me, I'm Brad, I'm here for this game. They're like, okay, cool. And they will just take you right back. Usually they have a little... Um, you know, like a little cubicle setup where you can just go in and there's nobody else in there except for you and the PR rep. Or maybe um, if they have something on the floor, they will um, kick people off of the machine, which I kind of feel bad about. But um, they'll be like, oh, sorry, we have an appointment. And then GTFO and they'll kick somebody off and then you can play if you want to for a little while. Um, But most of the times I don't like to kick the people off. I usually just like watch and uh, I'll just have them talk me through it and then check it out. Because I mean, there's somebody who's waited like an hour to get through this, you know, through this line to play this game. I don't want them to lose their turn. So I try to be very respectful about it, but yeah, I don't, I, I do not wait in line. Like if there's some game that needs a line, I I don't like, for example, um, we, as a site game critics is not in tight with Sony right now, which is a whole other story, which is not really fit for the podcast. (laughs) Um, so we're not on Sony's good buddy list at the moment. So they did not want to make appointments with us. Uh, therefore I did not see Spider-Man. Uh, because I did not want to wait an hour and, you know, an hour and a half to get through the line just to play a five minute demo. So for that, you know, people might be wondering why I didn't cover Spider-Man on my PAX coverage because they did not let me jump the line. So sorry. I mean, I'm not going to like waste half a day so I can see the same demo that everybody else is, is seeing. It's just not a good use of my time. Same thing for anything at the Microsoft booth. We're not in good with Microsoft either, which is again, another story not fit for, for podcasting. Um, but yeah, they do, not, they do not make appointments with us because they don't like us as a site. So I never go to check anything out at Microsoft's booth. If, I, if I'm if i swinging by and it's, it's empty, I'll jump in. Or if I see a little, um, you know, if it's not too crowded, I'll jump in. But I'm not going to wait like two hours to get inside their stupid booth because they won't let me in. So um, I, that's just the reality of it, man. I, I'm so pressed for time. I have so many appointments. I have so much stuff to see. I just can't waste that much time. And if
1: they do not let me jump the line, then I don't cover their game. Simple as that. I feel like even if I went to, like, whether I was going, if I ever went to PAX or something like that as a consumer or as, uh, like, press coverage, I would probably not stand in line either. Like, I I feel like it would just be a massive waste of time to, even if they were, like the, like, the game that I've always wanted to play, like, you know, something, like, really big and really intense. Like, the, I mean, the best one I can think of right now that was at PAX is Resident Evil 2. Like, that's, like, kind of the heavy hitter that if I had been there, I'd probably been the most interested in, but... I mean, if the line had been anything longer than like 20 minutes, I probably would not even bother because, like, the amount of small game you get to play for that much time waiting in line just doesn't seem like a good payoff to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, There's tons of games, and there's always stuff to play that only has one or two people in line if you want to check it out. I mean, there's like a jillion games there. So even if I was not going as a writer for Game Critics, I would never stand those lines anyway because it's just like a colossal waste of time. I can't think of any game that I would want to play so bad that I would stand in line for two hours to play five minutes of. Like, I just... It's just it's just not a good value proposition. So even if I was not a game critics writer, I wouldn't do it anyway. But there's no shortage of stuff to play. There's board games. There's retro games. There's, um, you know, card games. There's all sorts of other stuff to play. There's indie games. I mean, and there's just like a million things to play. There's really no reason to stand in line for those big games. So whatever, uh, whatever. So I had... A couple of interesting things happened. I was kind of going to give you some more flavor, if you don't mind me kind of just talking for a bit here. By all means. Um, so I had a couple cute things happen. Uh, first off, I was at the Indie Mega booth. This is um, So what this is, is there is one large booth that is divided up into like a thousand little sub booths, and each one has a small indie game. So like it's really, really expensive to display at packs. Like it t- costs like a bazillion dollars. And so some of these indies just don't have the budget. So what they do is they just, they all chip in for one big booth and then they each have a little corner of it, which is pretty cool. I like that idea a lot. So I was walking up to the Indie indie Mega Booth and I saw this one game and I'm just checking it out. And then out of the blue, this guy comes up to me and he's like, oh, and by the the way, I was like, I was recognized so much in this pack, It was really weird. That's a separate (laughs) story. Um, So this guy comes up, he's like, hey, hey, Brad. And I like, I look over and I, I, I have no idea who this guy is like at all. Never don't recognize him at all. I'm like, "Uh, yeah, yeah. Have we met? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, oh, um, my name is so-and-so and and I'm from Zodiac. And I'm like, that sounds really familiar. Why do I, why do I know that name? And why do do you know me? He's like, we're the publisher of Candleman. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) he he recognized me out of the crowd, dude. And he came over to say hello. It was so funny. I'm like, oh my God, how's it going? And he's like, yeah. He's like, we wanted to thank you and Corey so much. He's like, I recognize you right away. He's like, we want to thank you and Corey so much for all of your support of Candyman. He's like, you guys were like the game's number one fan in America. And we, you talked about it on your podcast and you wrote about it. He's like, oh, we're so thankful for all the coverage you gave. And the team was so grateful. And he just came over and like gave me a big handshake and wanted me to pass on to you uh, that, you know, he, like everybody at Zodiac and everybody on the team was very aware of how much we love that game and how much support we gave it. So all of our efforts... Were recognized and they were, he was just like the nicest guy and he was so grateful. I'm shocked that he recognized me out of the crowd, but he came, he went out of his way to come over and grab me to tell me thanks and, and, and by extension, you as well, uh, for all of our Candleman love. I thought it was just the sweetest thing.
1: Oh, that's so special. Oh my gosh. If I had been in your shoes at that time and, he would have approached me and been like, oh yeah, we're with Candleman. I think I would have just dropped everything and hugged him for like 15 seconds straight right there on the spot. Oh man, that <laughs> makes me feel so good because you and I love that game so much. And I'm so happy that they're happy with, I don't know how much we love their game, I guess. That's so nice.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, when we were talking about Candleman, I genuinely did feel like we were the only people on earth who were like really pulling for that game. And I I I am happy and glad, but also a little bit sad that we ended up being like that game's number one fan in America because <laughs> because I think the game deserves more love and I it's think it's so uh,
1: good. Oh.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I asked him, I'm like, so how's it going on now that it's on PS4? He's like, oh, it was really strong, strong response. People are really liking the game. He said it's really doing well on PS4, which is great. So I was very happy to hear that. And you know, and he said you know a lot of that you know he felt like was due to us like talking about it so much on Twitter, helping raise awareness and stuff. So you can you can. I think that, you know, I mean, you can know that we like for all the stuff that we talked about and all the stuff we did, we really did have an effect on that game. And we we really did help elevate it and get some eyeballs on it to help get it out there. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say that we are solely responsible. No way. But I think we definitely had a part. And I'm glad that I'm glad that um, we could do what we could
1: for that game. Right. Good. That makes me really that makes me f- so happy. I'm I'm really pleased that that they're doing well and that the game has been successful so far.
0: Yeah, I was really happy too. So he showed me um, the other game that Zodiac is putting out right now, um, which is called Tales of the Neon Sea. It's not by the same Candleman team, but um, he was just saying, "Oh, you know, we publish other games, and this is something else that we feel like is you know they're kind of developing their own niche, kind of like Annapurna and uh, Devolver and stuff. They're trying to get like a little, you know, a, a, little, a little space for themselves." So I checked it out. It looks pretty good. Um, I I think it's coming to consoles, which is kind of where I'm waiting to play it on but it's like a detective game uh in the future pixely I don't know it, it looked fun I mean look you feel like point and click it looked really good uh so that was Tales of the Neon C but he said also the Candleman team is already working on their next game and he oh. wanted to make sure that we were in the loop on it mm. uh it's called he told it to me really quick and I didn't write it down because I think it's still TBD but it's called something like the long hard day or something like that um, and it, you know, it, apparently it's nothing like Candleman, something totally different. But whatever those guys do, I'm definitely, I have a feeling we will definitely want to pay some attention to.
1: Yeah, I will be like first in line to, I mean, if it's a game that's of a genre that's up my alley, I'll be like first in line to review it. Oh my gosh, that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, so that was really cool. I really liked that. That was great. And that was a really positive thing. And we kind of mentioned this on a couple podcasts ago, but getting recognized at PAX is always dicey because... Um, <laughs> You know, because I, I usually hope it's like this, where it's like somebody who likes our work, recognize me, and that's great. Sometimes it's people who are really fucking salty that you gave their game a bad review. Those are always really, really awkward. I do not enjoy those. Um, but I had like so many good experiences where I would meet somebody. I mean, I did get recognized out of the crowd a few times, and I'm always like, hey, what's up? And they were always, I mean, everybody's really friendly. I didn't have any like grumpy people this year, which is great. Um, but I had this weird experience of where I would go up to like a booth, and there'd be like a PR rep there, and I didn't know, I wouldn't know who they were. And they didn't know who I was. And then, you know, they'd be like, oh, can I tell you about this game? And I would be like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever. Talk through the whole thing. And then right as I'm about to leave, they're like, oh, can I give you my card? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Go ahead and give me your card. And then I look at the card and it's somebody that I've known for like five years via email. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, my God, it's so it's you. I, I didn't know it was you. And they're like, oh, my God, it's you. And like that happened like so many times where like I had no idea what a person looked like or what they sounded like. But once we looked at each other's business card, it turns out that we were like already friends and we're standing there like strangers the whole time because we didn't know who we were. But that was really weird. I mean, yeah, just very odd. But I did recognize some people from Twitter just walking through the crowd as well. Uh, And that was really nice. And getting to put faces with names is always really good. So I met like a lot of really cool people, a lot of really cool PR reps and a lot of cool um, developers and stuff. That was really nice. Um, One other story that I thought was really funny was I went to go see a game called My Friend Pedro, which is one that you were a little bit interested in. Oh my god, originally. I've
1: been so... I'm really glad... Okay, so hold on. I don't want to like take this off the rails, but I had meant to tell you to look out for this game whenever you were going, and I forgot because I didn't think it looked like something that would be up your alley, and I was just busy at the time, but I've had my eye on this game for so long because it looks fucking ridiculous, but like ridiculously awesome, and... I, uh, it's apparently whenever it's coming out, it's only coming out to PC and switch. And so like that could be, I mean, I have a PC, you know, that's fully, uh, you know, I can play games on everything, but like, I would rather play it on a console. So I'm like really pumped for it to come out. Cause it'll be my first sort of like switch kind of exclusive game that I play. And it just looks like fucking bananas.
0: Yeah. It looks really funny. Um, so I guess if listeners haven't figured out by now, we're just going to ramble our way through this whole episode because we're just, (laughs) sorry, I should have said that at the beginning. I apologize. We're just going to just, just ramble through this. So please, um, if we seem like we're a little more tangential than usual, or if we just seem to be talking about bullshit stories, that's, that's probably going to be the meat of this episode. And we'll get back to regular episode next time. But um, yeah, so I went to go see my friend Pedro. It was over at the Devolver booth. Devolver had a really strong booth this year. They had a lot of very, very strong selections. I know that they've always been a pretty good publisher. And we actually just uh, talked about them like last episode. But they're whoever they have picking games right now is really doing a great job. Um, so almost everything they had looked amazing. And my friend Pedro, it's hard to describe, but you have this like weird character. He kind of looks like a cross between Scud the Assassin and Deadpool for people who know who either of those people are. Um, and the, the physics on it are just bananas. <laughs> like he, he runs through the level, but like he jumps and flips and shoots with both hands and just seeing him gyrate and spin around the level is really like in, indescribable. You have to check out a YouTube video of it. You can see if you go to Game Critics and look at my PAX coverage, I have a video posted there or just, you know, uh, YouTube or whatever. But watching this guy spin and flip and shoot is just nuts. And then there's all sorts of, there's like a skateboard, he's on a motorcycle at one point, and he does like all sorts of weird environmental stuff. Like he'll throw up a frying pan and then shoot the frying pan and bullets will ricochet off the frying pan and shoot other guys. And I mean, it was, it looked really cool and weird and bizarre and funny and super bloody. And it just seemed like something that was really interesting to me. Um, So I talked to the developer of, of this game. It's almost a one man show. And I forget what his name was, I apologize, uh, but he's a super nice guy. So we're sitting there talking, and I was asking about his background and stuff like this. And he's like, Oh, I, I uh, worked at Media Molecule. I'm like, Oh, you did? He's like, Yeah, yeah, I worked on um, Tearaway, and I also worked on Little Big Planet. And I was like, oh my God, I love Tearaway. It's like the best game. It like made me cry. And it was so emotional. It was so amazing and so special. And I let my wife play it. and She loved it as much. And my son played it. And he thought it was great. And Tearaway is like fantastic. I love it. He's like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he go, but Little Big Planet fucking sucks. I hated that fucking game. That game was terrible. I am like, it made me so mad. And I thought you did such a bad job on it. I really couldn't stand it. It was awful. But Tearaway was the best. He's like, well, you know, you can't win them all. He's like, I'm glad you at least liked Tearaway. it just cracked me up that I... And it kind of felt, to be honest, kind of good because I fucking hated Little Big Planet. That game just like was a thorn to my side for a long time. So it was nice to be able to just grab the guy who was responsible for some of the bullshit and be like, look, this game sucked. But your other one, brilliant. Your other one was brilliant. This one sucked, but that one's brilliant. So it was a very funny, very funny reaction I had with him. And he took it totally in stride. He was super a good sport and wasn't put off at all by it. And I thought Pedro looked awesome. So that looks like a really fun game. Um, Speaking of other publishers. There's a Polish booth. Um, it's kind of been talked about in the industry lately, but Poland is really taking off as a game development hub. Um, you know, Witcher 3 is from Poland. There's a bunch of other games. I think Larian is from Poland. Um, there's a couple other big houses. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Ooh. A little bit of a choking session there. Pardon me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> So Poland is really taking off and they've got some real talent over there. So a lot of the Polish people kind of do like the indies do where they will like all chip in for like one big booth and they split it up into little subdivisions. And I love talking to the Polish people. It's so fucking cool. They're all so fucking um, interesting and different. And I mean, just their, their approach to game development is not at all the way that Japanese people approach it. It's not at all the way Americans approach it. It's very like... Matter of fact And kind of dark Everyone says It's terrible And it's awful And they're all Smoking cigarettes And wearing like Black clothing And it's just like So fucking Eastern European and shit And they all have like The darkest sense of humor Like it's so cool To talk to them And get like this Entirely different flavor Of um, game development And I mean Personality wise You can spot a Polish dude From like a mile away You're like oh That guy like so grim And dour He's gotta be from Poland You're from Poland Yes I am Yeah I knew it Okay good um, It's cool It's cool to hang out With those dudes so they had a lot of really interesting um, stuff on display. And I was talking to this one guy who I better not say his game because I don't want to get him into trouble. But these Polish guys are very honest. They will fucking just straight up tell you anything you want to know. No bullshit, whatever. Just like very, very, hey, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass because I'm from Poland and I'm smoking the cigarette. And I'm just going to tell you what I think, which is refreshing. It's super refreshing to talk to somebody who does not have PR sitting over their shoulder the whole time or does not have a, a bullet point list of stuff to say like they're just they look exhausted and tired and done with the world and they just want to tell you about their game right so I'm, I'm looking at this guy's game looks pretty cool and I'm like so what is the story of this he's like whatever it's just a bullshit story I don't care what it is he's like I wanted to make a game about XYZ and like they told me how to put a story so whatever there's some story you do a quest who cares I'm like yes yes he, he admits that game stories are bullshit it was so hilarious. He, like, he could not have given less of a shit about the story in his game, which I thought was hilarious, but also funny because his game looks really good. So it's not like they're making shit games. I mean, they're making really good games, but I think that whole attitude of like what they value as a developer or what they value as a creator is not necessarily the same thing that maybe people want to ask him about or maybe not what people look for. So I, it was just it was just really kooky and crazy and fun. I really like the Polish booth a lot. It's, it's a good time. Um, there's this other game which I thought was really interesting. Uh, it was called Electrix, e- E-L-E-C-T-R-I-X, where it's about repairing small electronics items. Like you <laughs> have a virtual desktop and like there was an iPhone and you take apart the iPhone and you fix it. And like, it, I, I don't know how realistic it was, but the the de- lead developer, I think, was a girl. She looked like she was maybe 17 or 18. And I'm like, is this your game? She's like, yeah. I'm like, oh I'm like, go girl, right on. Like, this <laughs> game looks f- cool. Good for you. Um, but you know, I'm like, if I play your game, will I be able to fix an iPhone in real life? She's like, you know, maybe not hundred percent, but you could probably get a pretty far way into it and like really know what you were doing. So I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, but also there's kind of like an X-Files ish story associated with it. So like, as you fix these messages, these phones or old consoles or what have you, like, I guess you kind of unravel like a, a really paranoid kind of, you know, X-Files sort of sci-fi story along with it. So it looked really interesting and cool. I was really into that. Um, speaking of interviews, I did see sweary 65 who I am a huge fan of, and he is always like such a delight to talk to. Um, of course, creator of Deadly Premonition and D4 and a couple other games that have uh, come out recently. Eccentric, quirky, really fun. I uh, gave him a big hug when I saw him. He's a really cool guy. And we, I was like, oh, so let's talk for a little bit. I have an interview that I need to transcribe and put up on Game Have you ever done any transcription, Corey? Uh,
1: Not extensively, but a little bit.
0: Yeah, transcription is like, it's from the fourth circle of hell. It is like the worst fucking thing in the world to do. It's (laughs) awkward, tedious, painful. It takes a long time. So I haven't transcribed the interview yet. I will do that. Um, But we had a great interview and we actually ended up going up on stage at his booth to do the interview, which was kind of weird and a little awkward. But we did that and he was with an interpreter, uh, which was really funny because we start talking and he did the total interpreter thing of like, swear we'll say something in Japanese, blah, 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 The interpreter goes, ah, laughs. And then he's like, oh yeah, he says it's fine. And like totally did not tell me like, what was the funny part oh or like what they were laughing at. I'm like, come on, bro. I am an interpreter as well. You can't pull that shit with me. So <laughs> it was hilarious that we had that, you know, talking for 10 minutes. And then he tells me like a one sentence answer. Uh, which always happens with interpreting, but it was great. He gave some great answers, very candid and straightforward. He gave me some off the record stuff, which I'll tell you about afterwards. Um, But yeah, that was really good. Good to see sweary. And um, something that happened that was really funny was when you go to these things, people will give you a press kit. Sometimes it's just a business card with a URL on it. Sometimes it's a piece of paper and a, you know, a disc, not so much anymore. Once in a while, you'll still get a disc, but pretty rarely. Uh, But usually people will give you like a little USB stick, right? So I went to this one booth, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, this game looks great. Do you have a press kit, so I can grab some screenshots?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah,", yeah. and he gave me it looked like his hotel key and like like a key card. And I'm like, I kind of froze for a second, and I'm like, "This is going in a strange direction. I'm I made no advances towards you whatsoever, and I don't swing that way. So why are you giving me? Your, oh, okay. So I guess USB sticks come in the shape of a key card now, which I had never seen before. Have you seen these? They look just what? like hotel." Yeah. They look at hotel key cards. How does where... that work? I know. Right. So like it looks just like so if you've ever been in a hotel, you get your plastic key card that you swipe the door with. So imagine that. But on the in the middle of the card, there's a little tab that flips open and then there's like a teeny, teeny, tiny little USB stick in the middle of that. So I had never seen these before. I thought he was propositioning me when he gave me this USB <laughs> stick, which was fucking weird. <laughs> fucking weird. because I didn't feel any chemistry between us. You know, <laughs> there was no winking going on. And he's like here. And I'm like, oh, No, you're not asking me for sex. This is not the key to your hotel room. It is literally a USB stick with your press kit on it. And now I feel like a jackass. Uh, but I had never seen this before. I'll send you a picture after the show or something. First time I've ever seen these blew me away. So I guess technology marches on. Um, so anyway, we should probably talk about some fucking games, I guess, since we're
1: here. Um, is there anything that you wanted to ask about or shall I just like kind of just leap into it? Well, the big two that I was interested in, one of which I doubt you played because it probably had a line that was 600 hours long. Um, the big one was Resident Evil 2. The small one was My Friend Pedro, which we already talked about. So we're halfway there.
0: All right, cool. So My Friend Pedro was good. We talked about that a little bit. It looks super crazy. Definitely looking forward to that. Um, as far as Resident Evil 2 goes, so that was kind of an unfortunate situation. Um, so like I said, you start getting emails about like three weeks out for packs, And I had taken a bunch of, e- of, of appointments, basically booked out my entire day. I didn't want to like fill up the entire day because then I would have no time to cover the floor because there's still like a thousand things to see even beyond the appointments. So by the time that Capcom had emailed me, I had already been booked for like a week. I had no time left over for anything and I didn't want to cancel on anybody. Um, so I was like, Oh, you know, I'm really sorry. I don't have any time left. I wish you had emailed me a week sooner. And they were like, no problem, no problem. Um, So I went by the booth to see if I could get in. And it was just like the line was like a thousand people long all day, every day. So I didn't get a chance to see it. I have no information on it, but it was there. Uh, People seemed to really like it a lot. The line never went away for all four days. I mean, it was it was slammed. It was definitely one of the biggest draws of the show for sure. So I I mean, I don't know. I have faith in it. I'm sure it'll be fine. I, I wish I had more to tell you about it, but I just didn't want to get through that line. There was no way. So sorry,
1: man. That's okay. I mean, I'm sure it'll be amazing. I just didn't know if you played it or not.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't, uh, did not did not do that. Um, so let me unroll a couple games um, that we that I thought were really cool and if you want to chat about them cool, if not, we'll just we'll just roll on ahead. Um, the first one that I thought was really a surprise um, was Starlink Battle for Atlas. Now this is another Toys to Life game. I was basically feeling done with Toys to Life after Skylanders. I bought like basically every Skylander in existence. I've got like a thousand of the fuckers taking up all my shelf space, and there's <laughs> nothing to do with them anymore. Like, the games are over, and the last game wasn't that great. So, you know, the whole thing kind of petered out, and, you know, you just, just can't do nothing with them anymore. So I was not really keen on buying more Toys to Life shit. But Starlink, I gotta say, it looks pretty good. It looks actually surprisingly good and a lot better than I was expecting. I was thinking since it was Toys to Life, it was gonna be pretty kitty and cutesy, and, you know, maybe just aimed at the younger ones, which actually did not turn out to be the case. Um, it's kind of like No Man's Sky, where you can be in the universe, fly around to any planet that you want to, you know, enter the atmosphere, fly around over a planet, and then you can like go down to the planet's surface and do all that stuff. But there's actually stuff to do. Like there's bosses, really big boss battles. There's lots of fast action. And just being in the ship and flying around looked really like exciting. Like if you, if you took all the Toys of Life stuff out of it, just the game itself looked really fun and and interesting. So that was good. But the toy select part looked fun as well. You have a little dock that sits on top of your PS4 controller. I think it also is Switch and also Xbox One. Um, But you pick a pilot. There's like eight or nine different pilots. So you pick a pilot. Every pilot's got a special power. You pick a ship and then click that on top of the pilot. So the pilot like goes like inside the cockpit and then each ship has its own stats and you know, whatever. They're all different ships. Some are fast, some are heavy, blah, blah, blah. And then you click two weapons on top of the wings of the ship. And so you can combo those like one can be like fire and one can be ice or one's electricity or one's gravity or whatever. And you just fly around and just I mean, just flying a ship, just shooting things, going from place to place, going from the ground up into space to another planet. Like it all just looked really action packed and fun and interesting. And the ship designs are really cool. The toys actually look pretty badass I, I was thinking I was going to totally ignore this when I got to the show. But once I started watching it, I'm like, damn, this actually looks pretty good, which is shitty because now I got to buy a bunch of these toys again. <laughs> and I probably will because it looks pretty dope. But uh, yeah, it caught me by surprise. I was not expecting that at all. I left the space
1: there in case you had questions. Oh. <laughs> um, I, did you mention that this was uh, Bethesda's next big thing? That it's their baby? God, is it Bethesda or was it Ubisoft? I think it's Ubisoft. Are you sure about that? I'm not sure. Because, no, but
0: wait. Bethesda has another game that is that has almost the exact same title. Oh, they both what have, is their thing? They both have Star in the title. Oh, and I, everybody's it. getting these mixed up. Bethesda has Including one. and Ub- No, no. This has got to be Ubisoft because now that I think about it, like um, the Division was behind it and... Assassin's Creed was to the side of it. So it must have been Ubisoft's booth. But yeah, I think you're thinking of the Bethesda one, which also has Star, but it's not this uh, one. Oh,
1: the one I'm thinking of is Star Field, excuse me.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, they need to, that was poor timing. We need to uh, get those straightened out. But no, this is, I'm pretty sure this is Ubisoft.
1: Yeah, okay. My my mistake, whenever you talk about it the whole time, I was thinking about a Bethesda's teaser from E3, but apparently there's two big trends going on in gaming right now one is ga- games with the word star in them and another one is freaking samurai games oh dude yeah for sure oh well speaking of trends
0: <clears throat> boy the other trend this was it was almost comical i almost wanted to take a video of every time this happened and then like do like a supercut <laughs> because this is the year when everybody who is a fan of dark souls has finally gotten their project off the ground i know oh, we kind of talked God. about this earlier and there's a bunch of them. There's so many, but they're not, nobody wants to call them Souls-likes. Everybody has a stick up their ass. They're like, no, no, no. Clearly, clearly we're fans of Dark Souls, clearly inspired by that, but we are not, we are not Souls-likes. We are, uh, games that feature, uh, open world exploration and stamina-based combat. Like, I got that line so many times from so many people, stamina-based combat. That is what, that is what developers are trying to pass off as Souls-like, but I think they missed the boat because everybody on Twitter and in the games just calls them Souls-likes, which, <laughs> yeah, too bad, guys. You don't get to make up your own label. But these stamina-based combat games were all over. There were so many of them. Even in games that did not resemble Dark Souls, we starting to employ a stamina-based system because of Dark Souls. And I was like, okay, enough, you guys, enough. I get that this is a trend. I get that you guys all love Dark Souls, but, like, not every game needs fucking stamina in it. You don't need to... I mean, it was ridiculous, like, how similar all these games looked. Um, a couple of them were okay. Some of them just looked really boring and, and copycat. But one that I thought looked really interesting was called Hellpoint. Uh, this is, again, stamina-based combat, open-world exploration. But it features uh, dedicated co-op. I mean, you don't have to co-op. You can you can single-player it if you want. But they, they want you to co-op. And I think it looked really cool. It kind of looked like a mix between Dark Souls and Dead Space. And you're in like this really spoopy, kind of, you know, future, necro-futuristic, weird space people, but also zombies sort of a thing. And you just kind of go with a buddy and do some combat. I mean, I was more interested in it for the co-op rather than just like the Souls-ish kind of stuff, because I'm always looking for something good to play with the wife. But it did look pretty good. I mean, the graphics are pretty cool. The first boss that was on display, the demo looks really cool. And I mean, I think anything with, um, dedicated co-op is cool. And that was kind of a theme. I saw a number of these, um, Souls-likes were having co-op, but not the PvP. So, I mean, I think that's kind of a good thing. I know that, um, Trolling people and doing PvP was a big part of Dark Souls and, like, getting invaded. And everybody had stories about getting invaded and shitting their pants and being scared and fighting <laughs> fighting edgelords who spent all day grinding for the best weapons and stuff. Um, but a lot of these guys liked the idea of co-op but not of PvP. So there were several of them that had features. Another one was called Ashen, I think, which was over at Annapurna's booth. Also looked good. Also was another stamina-based combat game, open-world, Souls-like Um, But this one had kind of a journey twist to it, where the game will spawn other players in. And if you want to go quest with them, you can, or you can ignore them. But if you don't want to do anything with them, they cannot PVP you, they can't attack you. So there's no, nothing lost, right? And there's also, they made a big point to say no communication, no texting, no in-game chat, no, nothing like that. They're like, you just, get together and silently and peacefully do a quest, or you just fuck off and go your own way. There's no messing with people. You don't have to have that icky grossness
1: of people who might be a little bit unsavory online,
0: which I thought was a good idea. I thought it was a good idea.
1: Yeah, I'm all for not talking to people ever, so that's good.
0: Yeah, I was definitely down with that. Uh, we should probably talk about Hitman 2, which I got to play. I know that you oh. uh, like yourself some Hitman. I didn't know you
1: played this. Oh my I gosh. did play Hitman
0: 2. Yes, went over there, um, did the whole first demo level. Uh, I mean, the biggest takeaway from Hitman 2 is that it's more of the same, but that's awesome because the last <laughs> Hitman was awesome. So, I mean, that's not a bad thing, right? I, I think both of
1: us would be down definitely for some more Hitman, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, they could be, as long as they keep the levels that they make creative, I could play Hitman with that formula for pretty much the rest of my life.
0: Yeah, I would be kind of okay with that as well. I definitely agree. Um, seems like they are definitely keeping what works and adding to it. They showed a number of additional things. I mean, I think um, I mean, a lot of those kind of small stuff, like, you know, oh, Hitman can carry a briefcase with him now. So like in, in the game that we just played, Hitman 2016, if you had the sniper rifle, it's like you couldn't really bring it with you anywhere because people would spot you and you couldn't hide it. So it's like if you weren't already up on a rafter, too bad for you. But now they give you a suitcase where if you have something that looks really conspicuous, you can fold it up and put it in the suitcase, which is great. Um, you have a new kind of a blending in the crowd mechanic, which is brand new. So if you're standing near a group of a couple people, as long as you're standing still, you'll get like a little circle around you, which says that you're like your stealth. And so if someone is following you or if someone's watching their back and there's really no place to hide, you can just go into a crowd and kind of, you know, just mill about and they won't see you, which I thought was pretty cool. Made sense. Looked like it worked really well. Also, the developers really talked about they were trying to increase um, the level of experimentation uh, because they know that Hitman is a funny game, and we know that Hitman is a funny game. But maybe not everybody knows Hitman is a funny game. (laughs) And so they were talking about looking for more ways to like game the system or to do different things with their, you know, the different various options. Like one example they gave was there was um, the track or the, the level I saw was a racetrack, like a European kind of a Monaco racetrack sort of thing where there was. Um, Cars going around a track. There was like a a lounge where the drivers were sitting. There was like a mechanic area. There was like um, a crowd scene. There was, you know, so kind of like one of those, I don't know, NASCAR sort of vaguely festival things. And one of the things you could do was you could get some of the hyper, hyper uh, octane race car fuel. They had like some super fuel. So you could like put it in the car, uh, too much of it or something, and it would blow up the car. Or you could like put it in um, somebody's drink. And they would like explode into flame or you could throw it at somebody. And if it hits somebody, they would catch flame. Like it was pretty ridiculous. He's like, so, you know, we want you to experiment with all these different tools that we give you. And a lot of them are really, really funny. If you, if you think outside of the box for just a little bit. And um, he said also, they were really trying to up the comedy for the kills. I mean, he showed me, I think four or five different ways to kill each of the targets. In this particular case, it was the dad who was, I guess the big boss and the daughter was the race car driver. So, you know, a number of different ways to get them both, and that kind of basically functioned the same way. They had the same, uh, opportunities system where they would show you some really goofy ways if you wanted to be walked through it, or if you wanted to just go alone, you could do that as well. But one of the cool things was like, he's like, you know, these things are actually happening the level. Everything is happening at the same time. This is all like a big simulation. So if you know where these things overlap, you can really make some funny funny things happen. Um... So, for example, the dad was up on, like, an upper balcony or something, and the daughter was driving on the racetrack. And he's like, you know, we put this in so where if you time it right and if you understand how the level's laid out, you can go up to the top of the level, find the dad, wait until just the right moment, push him off the balcony. He will fall in front of his daughter as she's driving on the racetrack. She will see her father crash into the track, and then she will freak out and flip her car, and you can kill them both with, like, one opportunity. So I was like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. Uh... So, I mean they were they were telling me everything I wanted to hear. It looked great. I mean, I mean it's, you know, it's more Hitman 2016, but Hitman 2016 was amazing. So, I'm happy to get more of that. So, I think uh, I think that one's a no-brainer for sure.
1: Yeah, and it's also worth noting. I don't think we talked about this on the show, but a couple of weeks ago, they unveiled a thing where if you own the first game and you buy the second game, you can kind of like import all of your progress from the first game into the second one, and like all of the new systems, like the crowd mechanic and stuff that they've made from the second game are, like, reverse-engineered into the first game. Oh, my God, really? Yeah, yeah, they, like, put up a YouTube video about it. So it's, like, it's basically... It's kind of, like, mass-affecting it in a way, but, but even better because... Like, I'm guessing all the new systems they're putting in the second one, such as the crowd thing and whatnot, are going to become implemented into the first game. So like, if you totally miss the boat on the first game, and you jump in now and say you buy like the first and second game at the same time or something, the first game is probably going to be quite a different experience from what everybody else had, because apparently that's like their thing for this game is they're making it kind of into like one giant game and even that the new systems are being engineered into the first game. So, I mean, I I love Hitman for its replayability, but there comes a point in each level where once I finish all the opportunities and like level up to get all the equipment in the level, I pretty much like wash my hands of it and never really want to play it again. But now that I know they're putting the new stuff in the old game, I think that'll give me reason to go back and just kind of experiment and see how it alters the formula of the first game.
0: Wow, that is incredible because, I mean... The stuff that they showed weren't, like, game changers, but they were all, like... I mean, as someone who has played the series, there I was like, oh, cool. Like, that's really cool. Like, I like this little tweak. I like this little addition. Like, it all looked like really smart stuff that, you know, made a lot of sense and would make the game genuinely better. Boy, wow, I'm, I'm surprised and impressed. If they put that stuff in the first uh, 2016 iteration, that would definitely be worth a return visit for sure. Like, having some of those more options and more abilities, that would be great. Also, um, as I was talking to one of the developers... I was like, hey man, you know, I know that Hitman has a sense of humor. I know you guys know that as well. So like one thing that I've always thought about as, as kind of a gag would be, you know, whenever you're playing Hitman and you, you, you knock somebody out, you take their clothes, the clothes always fit perfectly, right? Like, which is, you know, gameplay contrivance that, that wouldn't actually happen in the real world. Uh, but I'm like, wouldn't it be hilarious if you knocked out like a bellboy or something? You put on his clothes and like they were just too small. So like you could still put them on, but like they really were poorly fit and it only gave you like 50% camouflage. I think that'd be a pretty cool idea. (laughs) And they kind of laughed and like, yeah, well, yeah, we'll talk about it. (laughs) So basically (laughs) he's like, yeah, whatever new. We're not going to do that. But I appreciate that he played along for 0.5 seconds and let me live that fantasy really quick. Of like a 47 being in like a really teeny tiny, like uh, undersized bellboy outfit with a little, little cap on top. I think that'd be hilarious, but maybe that's just me. Uh, Moving on, speaking of games that are funny, um, one of the biggest games in the show was Untitled Goose Game. Have you seen this? Mm,
1: I saw tweets about it, but I have not actually looked into it. Okay, so this is
0: hilarious and bizarre, and I'm just really glad that something like this exists. Uh, This game was mobbed. It's clearly a huge crowd favorite. I expect it to do really well. Um, What it is is you are a goose. You are a fat white goose, and you are in these little small levels, and each level has like 10 objectives. And the objective will be like, do the laundry, or it'll be like, um, you know, get a snack, or it'll it'll be something vague like that, right? So then you got to like walk around these open world levels, and they're, they're not huge, they're very small, um, just to figure out like what it is you can interact with and what you can mess around with and what you can do to achieve those goals. But at the same time, you're a goose. And if you've ever interacted with geese, you know, they're fucking assholes. They're just like, <laughs> like nature's dicks. They're really crabby and they have bad attitudes and they bite people and they're they're kind of a nasty bird, right? So like you walk around being a complete fucking dick to everybody in the level, like you honk at them and then you scare people and you bite them and you run around, and you steal people's shit and you just basically cause chaos as a goose. And like, for example, like do the laundry is like you go over to someone's wash line, you rip the clothes off the wash line, you drag them to like this pond that's over there and you throw them all in and then you jump on top And so you made a giant mess for this lady who's doing the laundry and that's like doing the laundry for you as a goose. So it's stuff like that where you're just being shitty, but it's hilarious um, because number one, it's not real. And number two, because seeing a goose do this stuff is just fucking, it's, (laughs) it's, it's bonkers. They've got the animation of the goose down perfectly. Like it looks exactly like a fat goose waddling around and they're just funny to look at. And you would think they were a funny bird if you didn't know what assholes they were. But uh, it's, it looks like a really fun time. Looks like a really
1: cool screw around fun game. It sounds very like Octo Dad to me from that description.
0: Totally, totally. It's like kind of an Octo Dad, sort of a Goat Simulator, one of those kind of like the physics are a thing, but you're kind of just messing around. And I think just like moving the characters is kind of half of the enjoyment of it, where you're just <laughs> just being in that space. So I thought that seemed pretty cool. Um, another kind of goofy one like that is called Pig Eat Ball. Have you
1: heard of that? <laughs> no, is this like a take on Hungry Hungry Hippos?
0: Yeah, it kind of is actually. As a matter of fact. <laughs> This comes from uh, Mommy's Best Games. Who are you familiar with them? Do you know? Do you know Mommy's Best Games?
1: I've heard the name, but I don't know what they put out.
0: So back when in the olden days of game critics, uh, Mommy's Best Games was developed. One of the developer is Nathan Fouts, and he was one of the guys that worked at Insomniac a million years ago. So he did some Ratchet and Clank stuff, and then he left for whatever reason, started his own studio, and he was one of the most prominent indies on Xbox 360. When they launched like the indie store and kind of like all the download games and stuff, he was really like at the forefront of that, and he put out um, a number, I think four or five different games on the Xbox Three Sixty store, and he was really one of the most vocal um, and well-known people at that time. Uh, His sense of humor is amazing. He makes the most fucked up, weird, goofy things, and I just everything he does, I think is hilarious. And like he and I are on the same level when it comes to like weird shit and games like that. So I love all of his stuff. You can actually get all of it on Steam. Um, you can track his stuff down if you don't have a 360. Some of it is definitely worth playing. Uh, but this is his new baby. It's been in the works, I want to say, like three or four years. Um, he's a small studio, mostly a one-man shop. And so he's had to do other things while making this game. And, you know, he's got he's got a family. I've met his family. They're lovely people. He's got to put food on the table just like I do. So I know where he's coming from. Uh, but this game is finally, 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 after long last getting ready for prime time. It looks great. Typically, Nathan Fouts kind of graphics where they're really rough. And cartoony, but definitely a little bit off kilter and good. Uh, you play as a pig in a top down sort of a, it's almost like Hungry Hippos or Pac-Man sort of a thing where you run around and eat these balls and you want to collect as many balls as possible. But if somebody touches you on the tail, you like vomit them all up and you spit them all over the level and you got to like suck them back up again, which is one of the basic mechanics. But there's also like way more than that to it. There's like a full adventure campaign mode. Um, I haven't played through it, but knowing Nathan, there's probably going to be a lot of surprises, a lot of weird one-offs and a lot of, you know, jokes and stuff like that. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. I love the guy's sense of humor. I love, I just love his, his deal. I just, I love what he does. So (laughs) definitely looking forward um, to seeing some of that. Another thing that I thought looked amazing, um, just switching gears a little bit, was called Lonely Mountains Downhill. This is coming from Thunderful, who were recently... Something else. They were Zoink and they combined with Image and Form, Swedish developers, to make one super studio. Then they recently bought like two more studios. So I guess they're really doing well. Um, they're kind of like becoming like the EA of Sweden, basically, but <laughs> the indie EA of Sweden. Uh, but they're still nice people. Uh, love those guys very much. Uh, and their best game, Lonely Mountain Sandhill, kind of a top, like a three quarter kind of an isometric view where you play as a dude on a BMX bike. You start at the top of a mountain and you just got to work your way down, there is a trail that is obvious to see. So there's one way to get down. But of course, with a game like this, you can also make your own path. Um, this kind of reminded me of Descenders. Remember we talked about Descenders a while mm, ago on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except that this is actually what I thought Descenders should have been. like. Um, Descenders did not play out the way that I thought it was going to play. And I am a little bit confused by Descenders and how that game actually ended up being. But Lonely Mountains Downhill is very much what I thought a game like this should be. There's one path. If you don't want that path, if you have the skill... You can like jump off of logs and like drop down waterfalls and, you know, kind of like really like carve your own path if you want to. And there's actually a reason, because if you do that, you will, you know, shave a lot of time off your off your score and you can, you know, find new new ways to go. And it just seemed really cool. Reminded me a lot of I mean, kind of of Descenders, but also of Trials. You ever play Trials HD, Corey? You know Trials, right? Mm, I know what it is, but I've never played it. So basically, it's like Trials, but you're BMXing down a mountain, basically. Uh, I, I think this game looks fucking amazing. It looks so fun. Um, it's coming out for the switch and I think other consoles, but it's totally got that, like just one more try feeling of like, Oh, I almost made that jump. I'm going to try one more time. Ah, I almost made it again. Ah, I almost made it again. Like I could (laughs) see myself doing that like 50 times in a row, like trying to nail a jump. Uh, but it's all optional. You don't have to, you can just like ride the trail down if you want to do that. Um, I just, I love the way it looks. The graphics are really low poly and colorful and smooth. And just the vibe of it and the controls of it just was, it was all popping. Like that game looked like it was dynamite. I really liked that one a lot. Um, One thing that I did not like, uh, really, really, really did not like was The Quiet Man. Did you read my uh, write-up on this?
1: I did not, but I remember this debuting at E3 and it kind of debuting to um, mixed opinions for the, I don't think there was a demo for it, but for the trailer.
0: Yeah, that trailer had people scratching their heads at E3, like, what, what is going on with this game? And now that I've played it, I can say, what is going on with this game? <laughs> this game. <laughs> it was by far the worst game I saw at PAX. Oh, I saw every no. game at PAX. It was the worst game I saw at PAX. I don't know why anybody's spending time or money on it. It looked like a colossal disaster in process, happening in real time. Um, so I got to play this. I got a hands-on with this. And... I don't understand anything about it. I don't know what's going on. So what <laughs> what happens is it's like it's like a movie. You, you probably never played the Bouncer. Did you ever play the Bouncer back on PS One? The Bouncer. It was one of the the first games that Square brought to the PS One. It was very experimental. It was about it was like basically a movie, but then you like every twenty minutes of cutscene, you would play for like two minutes of like a little beat 'em up, and then you'd watch twenty more minutes of cutscene.
1: God, never, never saw it sounds so familiar. I'd have to google it because I swear I've heard of this but I don't know. I don't know.
0: Okay, so basically that's what it is. It was like 20 minutes of cutscene, 2 minutes of fighting, 20 minutes of cutscene, 2 minutes of fighting all the way through. It was a clusterfuck. It was terrible. Um, so that's what this reminded me of. You start off the game as the quiet man. You don't know who he is. You don't know what's going on. And the the really fucked up thing is like I don't think the developers have done any research at all into people who actually are deaf or who who are actually disabled in that way because he, this whole thing is so fucked up. I can't even talk. I can't even explain how (laughs) fucked up it is. You're just this guy. He has no facial expression at all. He doesn't talk. He doesn't gesture. He doesn't do sign language. He doesn't have facial expressions. He doesn't do anything. He just is like this cypher walking around, which is weird because that's not how human beings are. Even if you're deaf, even if you're blind, even if you're in a wheelchair or whatever, or if you're just a normal person, you have facial expressions. You interact with people in your environment. You move your body a certain way. You move your eyebrows a certain way. Like you are a human being. This guy is just like a piece of plastic. It's so bizarre. He just like, I think the developers think he's deaf. Therefore, what? He turns into a fucking alien? Like what? What the hell? Like He's like lost all his humanity. It's so bizarre and weird. So you watch like literally like 15 minutes of a cutscene of real actors, real motion. This is, these are people in a, in, a, in a movie studio. This guy is sitting here watching a woman sing in like a nightclub, which I don't think even exists anymore because it looks like a totally like a, you know, 50s kind of a Chanteuse nightclub sort of a thing. And you can't hear as you're hearing all it. It, it sounds, it literally sounds like wah, 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 wah. like that's all you hear the whole time you don't hear words, you don't hear music, you don't hear sounds. Just these weird kind of chimes, which I guess they're trying to make it sound like what this guy hears, which I don't think they've quite nailed. I mean, there's many different kinds of deafness. I get that. But this just sounds like somebody who thinks they know what deafness is and they're doing their best attempt at it without actually doing any research. So he sits there, he watches this lady sing, but you can't hear it. It just sounds like that weird mumbling or whatever. And then these really stereotypical gang members. Again, this is all actors. These are all real people actors. Come in. They start fucking up the club. This weird guy in a weird mask comes in and he's like steals the girl, like literally puts her over his shoulder like it's like Mario and like runs out <laughs> into the parking lot and then you go after him and then it cuts to like shittiest fucking game graphics I've ever seen. Like the guy is made of, he looks stiff and weird and then it goes to like a side-scrolling kind of a fighting game sort of, but the camera could not keep the action on screen. The camera was constantly like panning off to the side and I couldn't see what was going on. So you're supposed to punch, but the, the punching was really slow and delayed and you couldn't hear anything and you couldn't tell what was going on. And it was just like a really basic, like dodge, punch, dodge, punch, dodge, punch. And then you got into like this little weird sequence with the guy with the mask and he just like fucking annihilated me. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I almost thought I needed to die. Like, it was part of the game, like, one of those you-cannot-win sequences. But no, I actually needed to beat him. It just restarted, and I did it again, and I, I couldn't figure it out. I just don't... I don't get what this game is doing. Like, the guy seems like a robot. You can't hear any audio. There's no storytelling. The guy doesn't interact with anybody. And you watch, like, tons of movie with real actors. Like, I just... I don't get it man. I, I don't get it at all. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why anybody's making this. I don't know what the point is. It seems like a giant fucking clusterfuck.
1: It sounds like the kind of thing that would have been made and had and still would have been mediocre in like 1998.
0: Yeah, it it feels like it's like a dec- like 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 a generation and a half behind. Like if, if we had just now been discovering cd technology and doing full motion video it would make more sense but we have explored that territory we (laughs) left that behind we realized that's not the way to go i it's like the the developer of this game just like emerged from a cave like he was lost in the south pacific somewhere and just like was rescued thought world war ii was still going on they told him that it was over and they brought him back and he made a game and it was like what are you doing like this feels totally out of step with the entire industry i don't know I just don't know. I just don't know. I just walked away being like, wow, someone's getting paid to make this. Someone is
1: spending a lot of money on this. That's ridiculous. So. Oh, man. I was going to ask you if you didn't answer beforehand what your worst game of show was, but you've already answered that. So thank you.
0: Oh, God. By a mile, it was The Quiet Man. Oh, my God. I just, I wouldn't show that. I wouldn't tell people. I was, I wouldn't tell people. I, was, I would delete it. Delete it off of my hard drives. and I would just move on. I just wouldn't, wouldn't talk about it at all. So, <laughs> Um, getting back to stuff that was cool. Boyfriend Dungeon seems like it is made for cult success. I'm, I'm guessing this one's going to be strong. Uh, you, it's a top-down dungeon crawler procedural generation with some stuff that stays consistent. Uh, but in this game, you can pick your own gender and pick your own appearance. Um, you're kind of cartoony, so it's not really that big a deal. And every time you find a new weapon, this weapon, whatever weapon you find, can transform into somebody that you can date. What? So, like, you should go check the video that's on Game Critics. It shows the character picking up a sword. The sword goes through this whole, like, kind of a Sailor Moon, kind of, like, magical <laughs> anime transformation. And there's, like, rose petals and flowing hair. And this big, like, Fabio guy shows up and he's like, mwah! Like, it's just, it's so over the top and crazy. It looks like it's going to be a winner. So boyfriend dungeon, you date your weapons to increase the power of your weapons and increase your connection (laughs) with the weapon. Uh, and then you, you do procedural dungeon crawling after that. It looks amazing. There's like, um, a black guy, there's the Fabio guy, there's like a girl and you can be like either gender. And they said that gender doesn't matter. Like whatever gender you want to be, it's fine. Like it all, it all works. So it's not like a heteronormative for everything. It can be whatever, whatever way you want to swing. Looks totally fine. But that one looks like a riot. It looks like a riot. You should check the video. It's beyond description. Um, really, really good. Uh, also was a really big fan of a game called Far Loan Sales. Have you heard of this one at all? I have not. This one might be in your wheelhouse. Maybe not. It might, might not be. But you might want to check it out. So Far Loan Sales. It's on Steam right now. Uh, and it's coming to consoles, I think, in the beginning of the year. It's kind of a side scrolling 2D, really like black and white, very stark. I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, but really like, you know, the world is in a bad place sort of a thing. And this, you play as a little teeny tiny character. He's maybe like 10 pixels tall or whatever. And he wakes up and there's like this, like a guy has died outside of his house. And he's like kind of living in like this kind of weird wasteland environment. Uh, and he left his ship. There's like this ship. It's like a, it's like a land ship, I guess. It's like kind of like a boat, but it's got wheels. It's got sails. It's got a steam boiler, but you know, it's just like, a, just like a sci-fi kind of a steampunk sort of ship. This guy dies and leaves his ship in front of your house. And so you go inside the ship and you don't know how to work it. And part of the game is just figuring out how this fucking thing works. And so when you're inside, it goes to a 2d cutaway view of the ship and you need to like, open the hatch and figure out how to open the hatch. And then you get some fuel and where does the fuel go? And you put it in and then, okay, so I got some steam going. What do I do with the steam? Push this button and then fill up the boiler. And then you got to kind of like, like half of the game is just like maintaining the machine, which I think is kind of a cool idea. I kind of like that sense of like you and this foreign object trying to work together and you learning about it as you go. And once you finally get the machine underway, like it starts rolling across like these desert dunes and you can like raise the sails and it it only goes so far because you went out of fuel. And then you need to get out and like do maintenance on the ship. And so something about the idea of like maintaining and operating the ship while learning about it, while also learning about the world, while also kind of being like out there alone by yourself. I mean, something about all those things coming together seemed really, really cool and interesting and enigmatic. I was very excited for this one. It looked very much like my kind of jam. So um, I'm going to wait for it to hit Xbox One, I think, in January or February, something like that. But it is available on Steam now and it does look very good. I think it won several awards, uh, and I think it's been pretty well-received, so maybe look into that one if that at all sounds remotely appealing to you. Yeah, it sounds a little up my alley. Yeah, very, very curious. I love a good, like, unfolding of a story like that. Um, Just a couple more to mention really quickly. Uh, Below is getting ready for release. We talked about this maybe a million years ago. It's coming out from Cappy Games. It is a procedural dungeon crawler roguelike. So maybe more my jam than yours. But you start off on top of an island and you have to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So, you know, I have this like fetish with towers, right? I have mentioned this before. Like if any game is in a tower, I don't know why, but like, I feel like as a gamer, I feel compelled to like play that game because I like the idea of climbing a tower. You remember me mentioning this before?
1: I f- don't. I feel like I remember you talking heavily about jetpacks and grappling hooks, and I mean, we've talked about, like, tower defense games, but I didn't realize you had a tower. F- that sounds like that should be my thing, not yours. Well, it can towers, also be your thing if you like. Tower we can, fetish, we can, if you will.
0: We can both have a tower, a tower fetish <laughs> if you want. Grappling <laughs> hooks and jetpacks, 100% for sure, but towers are also something I have a weakness to, and so whenever there's a tower, I'm like, oh no, I gotta play this game because I got a tower. Oh no, I'm st- <laughs> I'm trapped. I gotta, I gotta get to the top of the tower because... I always think there's going to be something cool at the top and I always want to know what it is because like, it seems like that's a good setup for something. So anyway, I also have a reverse tower fetish where if there's a really, really deep dungeon that goes like in tower fashion down, then I need to find out what's at the bottom of
1: that. (laughs) You're you're telling me you have a fetish with towers and also with holes.
0: (laughs) I guess, I I guess when it comes to like the, I don't know, the, I guess I must have like a bisexual approach to tower fetishes or something. I can go up or I can go down either way, as long as there's some kind of Vertical travel. I guess it doesn't matter which direction it's going. (laughs) (laughs) So Below is one of those games that triggers my reverse tower fetish where you go deeper and deeper and deeper in this like kind of roguelike. It's very cool, cartoony looking, Um, you know, a little bit of crafting, minor crafting, light crafting, some survival. I don't know. I like these games in general. You know, I do. I like the the roguelikes. And so um, this was actually 50% of the reason why I originally bought my Xbox One four years ago. Uh, I saw it at PAX like five years ago. And I'm like, this game looks dope. It's only on Xbox One. Okay, I guess I'm getting an Xbox One because I like cappy games. They make nothing but good games. And this game looks like my jam. Bought the Xbox and then below did not appear and did not appear (laughs) and did not appear. And now four and a half years later, it's finally getting ready for release. So I guess I got held off on that Xbox for a while uh anyway it's coming out very soon it looks great and i'm 100 fucking thousand percent gonna buy that fucking game since that's what i bought my xbox for anyway so i'm down with that one um another couple quick shout outs torchlight frontiers you ever play torchlight
1: no, i didn't
0: i was not a huge torchlight fan basically like cartoony friendlier diablo basically you're in dungeon collect loot you know that kind of a thing i mean pretty simple formula Uh, That studio folded, Runic, is no more, but some of the developers left and another person bought the IP. Perfect World Entertainment bought the IP and they are reviving it and it looks great. They got a lot of vets from Runic who worked on the original Torchlight. They got a lot of vets who worked on um, Diablo and Diablo 2, which I mean, Jesus Christ, if you want to put together a team with a good pedigree, you've got like the best pedigree in town with those two (laughs) games put together. Uh, It looked like an absolutely killer kind of Diablo-like and they say that they are really aiming for that whole kind of like, come home from work. You want to kick back for a couple hours and have fun, which to me sounds like a great idea. Get together with your friends. You can do multi if you want. Don't have to. You can do solo as well. Um, you know, I mean, nothing nothing like earth shattering. Like, it's just, you know, grind for loot, get better loot, grind some more. But it looks super colorful. Looked looks really fun. Tons of customization for your character. It just looked like the kind of thing that I would totally love, like, playing with my family. Like, I could imagine doing this, like, for an hour a day, you know, get together. Hey, we're going to do the zombie dungeon. Let's all get together and do this. And it's really fun and a good time. And it just looks really, really pleasant and warm and approachable and solid, just super solid. Like, I mean, nothing earth shattering, but if you like these kind of games, I'm guessing this is probably going to be like one of the best iterations of these formula, you know? So if you want like a super solid Diablo, like this one seems like it's going to really, really fit the bill.
1: Do you, do you, you don't ever do Diablo games. Do you, Corey or you do? Mm, I do not. Do you ever? Um, I don't think so. I remember trying, I think it was like Diablo 2 a really long time ago. And I just, I don't, I remember like not really getting on with it. Maybe like it's something I could revisit as an adult, but I never feel compelled to.
0: All right. Well, maybe this, maybe we'll give this one a try. We'll see. Uh, it looks just like a really good time. And the final game that I will mention uh, is called Overland. Um, I really wanted to ask questions about this game, but I had a kind of a negative experience in the booth with these guys. They, um, I don't want to talk too much shit because stuff happens at PAX that stays at PAX, but I'll just say that when I went to their booth, I didn't have the best experience. I tried to talk to somebody, ask some questions, and I, I did not get much, uh, much of a response, which was unfortunate because I thought their games looked actually really good. Um, one of their games is called Tunic, which is like a Zelda-like action platformer where you play as a cute little cartoony fox. Looked really, really fun. And this one, Overland, I've seen it a couple years in a row, and I think it's getting pretty close to release. Uh, This one is like 1,000% my shit. I don't know that you would be interested in this, but this is like, this is a brad-ass game, like hardcore, (laughs) hardcore. Uh, It is a turn-based strategy where Earth has been invaded by aliens, and you play as a regular person, which I think is great. I love the whole regular person approach. I wish more games would do it, because I think that really opens a lot of um, interesting opportunities for gameplay, a lot of interesting design, a lot of interesting challenges. So what happens is you're just like a regular person. Aliens invade, aliens invade, things go to shit. You're starting on the East Coast of the country and you need to get to the West Coast. So kind of like Death Road to Canada. Remember I talked about Death Road to Canada a Mm, while ago?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So instead of starting in Florida and going to Canada, you're starting on the East Coast, going to the West Coast. I don't know why you're going West. I mean, why not? It's a good place, but anyway. (laughs) So the first couple levels is like, you're just a person and you're walking around. You're like in an apartment building, uh, it, it looks very much like XCOM in terms of presentation, like an isometric camera, grid based um, levels. Uh, and you just of like meeting a person. There's another person. You go and talk to them. Hey, would you like to join me? Yes, I would, because I'm lonely. I'm scared. Me too. Okay, let's go. And then you find a car. And then you find some gas. And then you bring the gas back to the car. And then there's shit blocking the road. So you got to push the stuff out of the way of the car. So like doing these kind of like just things, it, I think it is really fun and interesting because it really grounds the whole setting in something that's very um, relatable. And very realistic. And I think that just like having something that is approachable to everybody that everybody can, you know, relate to everybody's been in a car, everybody has been in an apartment, you know, I mean, I think those are very realistic things. And then adding aliens on top of that and thinking like, what would you do? Or how would you approach this is really cool. So you 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 find a friend, you find some gas, you clear the road, you drive off, you get further down the road. And it looks like it's going to be kind of like an Oregon Trail sort of a thing where you travel for a while. And then like, you know, you'll run out of gas or the car will break down or you get hungry or something and you'll have to stop. And every time you stop, you get to like a new zone, like a new XCOM style map. And sometimes there'll be tons of aliens, sometimes not. Um, the one that I played, we we ran out of gas and we needed to get some more gas. So we pulled over and there was like a couple of abandoned cars on the side of the road and a couple aliens. And so one person stayed back in the car and I, uh, my other character went out to grab the gas. And remember, this is all turn-based again. So um, like one person took a couple steps Towards the gas, the other person stayed in the car, kept it running, and then the aliens were kind of like approaching, on a turn-based basis. Kept going forward, got the gas, and then I couldn't make it back. So then the other character like drove in with the car and did kind of like a little drive-by and picked him up, and then we escaped. And so it was kind of like, like really cool. Like there, nobody was getting shot, nobody got blown up, but just like doing that kind of a scenario of like what would you do, how would you react to this, you know, how would you get by in the situation? I think is really fascinating. I think it's fascinating. It's been put into a turn-based scenario. That structure looks really good. And then, you know, I saw a trailer for the other parts of the game. Um, I think parts of it will be like, maybe you will meet some survivors who are maybe not so cool. Maybe some will cause you trouble, you know, as, as people do. Uh, maybe you will be in a situation where you can't drive anymore. Maybe, you know, maybe food will be more of an issue. So just like the whole survival, travel, turn-based, a little bit of reality, like a little bit of common sense thrown in. That whole formula is extremely, extremely interesting to me. Really, really fascinating. So. I really, um, I really want to check this one out. I don't know when it's launching, uh, but this looks like my shit a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm definitely down for that one when it comes out. So
1: any thoughts, it sounds incredibly not up my alley. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the anti cory game. Yes. <laughs> sounds kind of like a weird, like XCOM meets Independence Day meets Oregon Trail kind of thing or something.
0: Totally, totally, totally. Like, and that to me sounds amazing. So I'm very much, <laughs> I am I am down for that. So those were the good things I saw. I mean, of course, there was like a thousand other things I saw. And if you want more information, you can go to GameCritics.com. My uh, Games of 2018 uh, from PAX is still up there. It's on the homepage right now. Otherwise, you can find it in the blog section, and I go through like all of the games that are worth talking about. There's a bunch more. Um, I think the only other thing that I will say about this particular PAX, unless you have questions, Corey, is that this was kind of a special show for me in that I usually bring my family along on the last day, because for the first three days, I'm just like running around like a madman. I'm like talking to developers. I'm asking questions, doing interviews, and it's not really fun to bring a kid along with that. I mean, they get kind of bored and tired and, you know it's, it's, it's a rough schedule for anybody. And I think it's really rough on a kid. So I wouldn't want to put my kid through that. So I usually do the first three days on my own. And then, uh, on the fourth day brought in the wife and brought in, uh, the son. And just for the record, like in the past, I would, it would usually be me and the wife all the time. Like she would go with me to all these things. That was really, um, really good times when we would go to like E3 together, or we would go to packs together and we would just do like the whole floor, the whole day, the whole weekend. I mean, I, those are some of my favorite times. I really enjoy doing that, but you got to go easier with the kid. So Anyway, I brought the kid, and he is now nine. My youngest is nine, so we brought him in, and this is the first year that he really was like, "I actually want to play these games." Like before, you would look, and he'd be like, uh, "I want a snack. Uh, I don't want to do this. Uh, I'm bored." <laughs> and you know, it was it's kind of a lot to get through for a kid. It's really overwhelming, really overstimulating, really crowded. But this was the first year where he's like, "Like, oh no, I want to play this," and and we were walking. oh, "I want to play this," and I want to play this, and so like I you know I let him have free reign basically and he played a bunch of stuff. Like he was playing, I mean, anything that caught his eye and he really would like finish each demo and ask questions and really get in there. So it was cool to see my kid finally like evolving to that next stage of where he's like participating in the show, like on a very, like kind of a meaningful level. So I think that maybe next year, maybe I will get him like, um, instead of just a one day pass, maybe I'll do like a two day pass and maybe I'll bring him with me to some of the uh, PR junkets that I go on. Um, cause he seemed into it. He seemed like he really wanted to like just play them all and check them out. And, Get the uh, the special treatment. I think it's pretty nice that I'm able to, uh, you know, uh, be the cool dad and be the, the game savvy dad and be the dad who gets to talk to developers. And I mean, it was neat because we, we brought him along. And at the end of the day, we were kind of recapping. And I'm like, okay, so like today, we talked to somebody from France and we talked to somebody from Germany and we talked to somebody from Poland and we talked to somebody from Japan and we talked to somebody from the UK and we talked to people from America. And they were all really cool, and there was, like, women, and there was black people, and there was gay people, and we had all these experiences, and it was really awesome. And just to kind of expose them to, like, the whole atmosphere and show them that games are more than just games at home. I mean, it's, like, games is, like, a whole world. And he seemed to, like, finally, finally really be um, be clicking into that. So that was really exciting for me as a dad. So I'm definitely looking forward to next year. I think we're going to do maybe, maybe increase the kid involvement by one notch, and we'll see how that
1: goes. <laughs> by one notch.
0: Yeah, got to go slow. I don't want to overdo it, but... It was really cool. And I feel really lucky that, um, you know, as the editor of Game Critics, I have all these these contacts and I get to talk to these people and to see the show in a slightly different way and to expose my family to some of that is, I feel like it's a real privilege and an honor. So it was really, really fun. That was probably one of the high points of the show for me.
1: Well, if you had to, because you've already said what your worst game is, if you had to name like your best of show or the game you're looking forward to most or like a top two or three, what would you say?
0: man that would be really tough i think i think definitely far loan sales was the one i was probably the most eager to play okay uh, it just looks like so my jam that one overland for sure that one definitely looked like definitely a brad game like hardcore like painfully painfully a brad game um probably those two i think um i was also really excited for um uh Starlink as well. Uh, surprisingly, surprisingly excited for Starlink. It looked just like such a good time. And it's been so long since I've had a really cool space game. I mean, I got back into No Man's Sky Next when that came out and I bounced off that pretty hard. And it's just, there's still that niche of like space exploration and space game that I want to play that has not been filled. And that looks like it might fill it. So I would probably pick those three as something that I'm personally the most looking forward to. But I mean, there was a lot of really good games on display. A lot of this, I mean, everything was so good. It's, it's great to see how much talent and how much variety we have. I mean, I think we're living in kind of a golden age of games right now. So uh, it's hard to say no to any of that. Excellent. Well, thank you for your answers. And thank you for being here with me. And I think this <laughs> will probably bring us to the end of the show unless you have any final uh, any final thoughts, any final questions, anything, or should we wrap it up?
1: Uh, I think we can wrap it. You've talked about... The culture at PAX, your game experiences, what you liked, what you didn't like. We also talked about some other random bullshit here and there. So I think we're probably good.
0: All right, sounds good. Let's wrap this up. And we will, uh, like we said earlier, get a regular episode in uh, in two days from now. So folks, if this wasn't your your bag and you got really tired of hearing me blather on about the games at PAX, <laughs> I apologize. We'll be back to our normal formula uh, day after tomorrow and you can look forward to that show. Uh, so in the meantime... Please remember that you can always send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Hit us up at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. We always love getting your uh, questions and we do answer all the questions that we get. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show goes up and we are on Twitter as a show collectively at sovideogames. But you can also reach us individually, and that's probably the better way to go. Uh, my handle, and also the same as my Instagram handle, uh, is Brad Galloway. B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. Corey, where can people find you on Twitter and Instagram?
1: They can find me. My handles are also my first and last name for both platforms. It's Corey Motley. C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. So do look us up
0: online. We always love hearing from fans. And for now, that's going to do it for this special PAX episode of So Video Games. Uh, We will be back next week. You can look forward to the standard formula and banter and us and all the rest of the stuff that you know and love, including that cool
1: uh, music that should be playing pretty soon.
0: So (laughs) this is bye from
1: Brad and bye from Corey. We will see you guys very soon with the next episode.